Good morning. Good morning. Please join with me in our responsive call to worship. You'll find that in your bulletins. Are we good? Okay. We gather together today to experience the fullness of the Lord who gave us our senses that we might know God better. Open our ears that we might hear you. Let us reach out for the Lord together, knowing that we will not return empty-handed. Please join with me in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for calling us here today to your sanctuary, to your place of peace, to your place of light and your place of love. And even though some of us are seeking sanctuary within the confines of our own homes today, we hope that your spirit dwells within us and around us, and wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you are there with us. So as we begin the journey of this week, be with us, stay with us, be in our hearts and in our minds, and in our hearts and in our hands, as we live our lives to do your work. All this we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Southport Congregational Church. Why is this here, you ask? It's uh, I can solo out here. No. <laughs> we are in the process of redoing our AV uh, live stream system and all the audio in the sanctuary. Um, and um, it's just in time because about 10 days ago, our pulpit and lectern mics, which we knew were on their last legs, um, both went to a better place for them and um, so hence this but pretty soon we'll have all uh, really good 
audio. So bear with us in the next couple of weeks while we get that all figured out. But again, welcome to worship here. Um, and if you please take the friendship registers found on the inside and outside aisles of your pews. Uh, sign your name to them. A lot of people ask me why we do that. Do we take attendance? No, we don't have an Excel worksheet where we keep attendance. But we do like to know who is here, and a lot of times it's a great place to write a note to us um, if you need a prayer or if you'd like a visit or anything. And if you're a visitor, please fill it out and let us know how we can contact you so that um, we can help you learn more about our congregation. So um, we only have a few announcements coming up um, for you. Uh, the first is that last night we had a round of trivia here in uh, Fellowship Hall, and um, I'd like to uh, congratulate our champions, Dick Mahusky and his daughter Amy, uh, who were fabulous in their, um, in their answering, and it was a great time. Uh, the whole thing was very close. It was a, gr it was a great night, so um, congratulations. Also today, uh, following worship service, we have our second um, in a, in a series of second hours led uh, for the moment by our student minister, Julianne Center. And this one is going to be on the Gospel of Matthew um, and how it is all structured and what his viewpoint is, why he wrote the, the Gospel, and, and all sorts of good information for you just to ponder as to how this whole Bible thing came to be. So um, you have plenty of time to get coffee and something to eat and then meet in the library. Um, also coming up, uh, next Saturday night is a really unique and interesting um, time for us. Katie Greer, who is the daughter of Hank and Sherry Greer, works for a movie um, marketing company. And uh, they are currently marketing a movie called The Jesus Revolution, which is coming out in late February, starring Kelsey Grammer. And it is a movie about the start of the evangelical megachurch um, kind of movement that occurred back in the 60s during the, um, all of, uh, of the hippie movement of Southern California, Julianne's home territory. Um, and so the, uh, Katie asked if we'd like to be one of the private screening um, places. They do just a few private screenings throughout the nation. And I said, sure. So next Saturday night, we're going to have a private screening. Uh, next, yeah, Saturday night, 7 o'clock, private screening of that movie. We'll send out more information uh, coming up. But uh, we'd love to have you join us. And then we're going to follow it up on Sunday with a second hour to kind of talk about what, what we saw and what it's all about and kind of thing. So a really fun um, kind of, you know, uh, historical movie for us to take a look at a part of the Christian movement in the United States. Um, also, let's see, we have our 180th annual meeting coming up in February, so just keep that um, on your calendar for the end of um, February. And also, I know we're not there yet, but when the calendar does turn to February, um, we look to Lent, and which is crazy, because, um, and there was a great meme that came out, there's a guy, a, a megachurch youth pastor that I follow on TikTok, he did a great one where he's like, Right after, you know, what, the, what it looks like after, East, uh, after Christmas, and there's a little thing of Easter following behind him on his shoulder. And that's kind of how it feels clergy, like, really? We just got through Christmas, and now everywhere we look is Easter coming up. But um, Lent is a wonderful time of preparation, so uh, that starts with Ash Wednesday in February. So um, 
lots of things coming up for you. All right, with those thoughts, I would welcome the children to come on forward. I just have to say that um, I saw something really beautiful. You know how Paul always says on Christmas Eve, we get this perspective of all of you and you get the perspective of us. But um, I saw Adele Keating come in just uh, uh, during, the, during the hymn and I saw one of our uh, church kids just reach out and wave hello um, to her. It was just such a beautiful thing to do. It's such a great uh, intergenerality, intergeneration type of, of relationship. Amelia, for being a great reader uh, as, as church goes on. All right. I have something in my bag. I think you know what it is. Let's see. Hopefully you know what it is. All right. What is it? It's a fire extinguisher. What would I use a fire extinguisher for? To put out a fire. It's pretty well named, right? to put out a fire. So fire extinguishers are very important, public service announcement. You do need to get them checked if you have them in your home, which I hope you do. Make sure you take them to your local fire department. Make sure they're all up to date and good to go for another year. Fire extinguishers may put out a fire, right? So what happens? So let's see, a uh, fire, something happens. Let's not make it in our homes. Let's make it outside because that's a better vision. So what happens? We see a fire, what do we do? Okay, if it's in your house and you're a child, get yourself out of the house right away, right? And even if you're an adult, get yourself out. Then what do we do? Don't grab your phone, because that could, but, you're gonna to wanna to call 911 next. So you can run to a neighbor's house, right? But don't go back, don't waste time trying to find your phone. Just get out and then, and then what? Then wait for them to come, right? So one year, a few years ago, I had a birthday cake for my nephew. And it, they were leaving and they were here overnight, so it was at breakfast time. And so I was wearing my bathrobe and we lit the cake, and I leaned over to light the last candle, and what do you think happened? My sleeve caught on fire. Because, note to selves, um, they're very, very, uh, bathrobes, very high fire quality to them. Um, so I instantaneously went up in flames, the sleeve, and it went right down the back, and it caught right on the back. And my nephew was like seven or eight at the time, what do you think he yelled at me? No, that was what the adults were all yelling. But what do you think my nephew yelled at me? Stop, drop, and roll. Right? So I did, right? Because it, when you know you're on fire, it's not a really fun thing. So I did. I stopped, kind of like, ah! I dropped onto the ground, and I rolled. And what do you think happened? The fire went out. And we all were like, whew, he just had his birthday. 
great a couple weeks ago, and I wrote to him, I was like, don't forget, always stop, drop, and roll. He was like, oh, I will never forget. <clears throat> so, yeah. Mm, because you're actually smothering it with your body weight. So you're rolling and you're just putting it out. And as long as there's nothing flammable underneath it, you're good. And usually you're good. Was there something flammable underneath? No, there was not. The fire went right out and that was great. There was wood under it and that was fine. So it's all good because here I am too, without any problem. But it made me think about the fires in our own life. Now, am I talking about real fires when I say that to you? No. no. What am I talking about? What would be a fire in your life? What do you think? Do you have an idea? What do you think? You knew right off I wasn't talking about real fire. What do you think I'm talking about? A problem. A problem. Give me a problem. Losing your way back home. That's a problem. Something that's very special to you. What else? What else? What about with your friends? What would be a fire with your friendship? If you get in a fight. So I was thinking, stop, drop, and roll. How can I apply that to life? Well, here's, here's my way. Whenever there's a fire in your life, you lose your way, you lose something you love, you have a fight with your friend, Stop, drop, and roll. Stop. First of all, just stop what you're doing if you're lost, if you're wandering around and you can't find the thing, if you're in the middle of a fight. Stop. Just stop. It's a really good spiritual practice. Then drop. And when you drop, when you're, when you're literally on fire, you're going down the ground to get help. You're grounding yourself, right? The second thing, ground yourself. You're lost, stop, look around, where am I? Do I recognize anything? You've lost something, drop, stop, drop. Where was the last time I saw that? Right? You're in a fight with a friend, stop. What do you think the drop is when you're in a fight? Nope. Stop talking. Stop talking. Just drop and ground yourself. Roll is the action that then is going to cause the fire to go out. So what's an action when you're lost and you've stopped and you're looking around? What's an action you can then take? Once you look on your GPS. If you have your phone, you're never going to be lost. <laughs> you and your phone, I just have to say. What if there's an adult nearby? Ask, ask for a way somewhere that you know, right? What about if you've lost your, th your item? Your, what's your role for when you've lost something? Retrace your steps to where you last were and where you last had it. You'll probably find it there. Looking is an action, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> I say that to my kids all the time. Mom, where are my shoes? I don't know. Looking is an action. Go look for them. All right. You've got a friend. You're in a fight. You've stopped talking. What's your role? What's the next thing you're going to do? Mm. Just say, 
before you walk away, because that can hurt someone's feelings, right? Just say, you know what? I'm not prepared to talk about this right now. I, I need to just walk away, right? So what were you thinking, Blake? Apologize. And apologize if it's yours. That's a good role. Always say you're sorry. So when we're in life and something's happening to us that's a fire in our life, remember stop, drop, and roll and try to figure out how is it that I can put this fire out without it becoming a really big thing, right? And the, re and the thing is, stop what you're doing. Ground yourself, drop, ground yourself, figure out what you want to do next without the heat of the emotion, and then roll, take the action, right? Can you remember that? All right, let's say a prayer together. Dear God, thank you for our wonderful lives where we have lots of love, a care, and we thank you for this church that helps us to learn how to navigate this life. Help us to remember when we are faced with the fires of our lives to stop, to drop, to roll, and to think of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, kindergarten to eighth to fifth grade, you're heading off to the chapel with Sydney Middle School. Mrs. Ogan Shuey is here. And then younger kids to five. <laughs>
as we take some time to to shift into prayer and reflection and lifting up our our thoughts and our prayers before God. And um, I want to invite you to please keep uh, a few people in your prayers from from our church and uh, even some relatives. Um, and there's, there's actually quite a few things going on at this point. Um, first of all, if we can keep Eleanor Biggs in our, in our love and in our prayers, uh, doctors are trying to determine the cause of her back pain to come up with a plan um, at this point. Um, and uh, it's very, very uncomfortable. So, um, and also Mary Martha Schertz is back in the hospital. Um, and she is, uh, they, they did find a, a few things that were relatively simple. Um, so she is back on the mend and would be, should be heading back, back home soon. Um, Susan Kunkel is going to be heading to surgery on the 31st uh, for back surgery. We have quite a few back surgeries um, either going on or just taking place. Um, and then also <clears throat> for um, Susan and Joel's son, who's also named Joel, um, if we can pray for him. He's uh, having some heart, heart issues and he's having some heart evaluations. Uh, taking place. Um, Juliana, we continue to pray for you for your surgery um, last week, and may you be healed, and may you be well and strong and courageous and have the patience and perseverance and everything that requires. Um, also, Nathaniel Rex is recovering from, from back surgery. Uh, Mary Van Kanta, who, uh, who is a, a community member um, and is, is uh, kind of coming under our care here, Uh, is in Bridgeport Hospital, and she's a little fragile at this time. Um, So if we can keep her in our prayers. And then um, also Hank Greer, who's recovering from a break in vertebrae. Um, And Neil Rice, who is having a pretty long recovery. And for Carol also, for all the caretaking that is is happening. And then prayers for those. um, We have several people in treatment with cancer. Um, And... uh, and, and, and that's, a, that's a lot of stuff right there. It's a pretty big list. Um, but also, you know, some, some really good news is that, you know, in, in the midst, I, I'm aware that in the midst of, you know, these traumas and surgeries and hospitalizations and everything, there's a tremendous amount of good news. And I'm always very, very thankful for, um, for doctors, for medicine, for our body's propensity to heal the way we've been designed by God to um, to heal and to recover and to be able to mend. Um, and I am aware and I believe very, very much that that in itself is, is a miracle. Sometimes we think of miracles as happening immediately, uh, instantaneously, and I believe that the whole process is, is just absolutely miraculous. So let's also pray for our doctors, medical teams, all those people doing the research all the way down the line. So with that and with our own um, love and, and, uh, and prayers and reflections, let's just take this few moments in prayer. Dear God of love and kindness and support and healing, on this day of Sabbath, 
we come to you. Taking this time, these moments, to rest our minds, to stop, to rest our hearts, to take some space and rest our souls and focus our health, our love, our life on those who we love, those who are near and far, and to do the simple but profound thing of reconnecting with your presence within us and around us. And as we reconnect with you, we do so knowing that you know us even better than we know ourselves. O Lord, you have searched me and known me, the psalmist says. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my tongue, God, you know it completely. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And so, God, we are so blessed to have been created by you, not just once long ago, but that we are always in this process of creation and recreation and reforming. And so we're blessed to have you within our being constantly. And what a genuine comfort and healing and strength that brings when we remember this, when we stop from all of our busyness and remember and connect with our greater body as one mind and one soul, one in spirit. So when we are in need of strength and refreshment and wisdom and direction and justice and healing and encouragement, God, may we gain our strength in you and with those who gain their strength in you in this community. When disease or sickness affects our body and may knock us down for the moment, Remind us, we pray, that while our bodies are temporal and finite, while our emotions can take a beating, our soul cannot be destroyed. Our soul is ever in your health and wholeness and care. And God, since you know all of our abilities as well as our limitations, you know that sometimes we misunderstand, sometimes we fail to get it right, but you give us the opportunity always to try again. So may we always remember to reach for your wisdom, for your help, to quiet our distractions, and then listen for your direction. 
Thank you, God, for loving us through every step of our lives as we go forward this week with its many blessings, as well as challenges, heartbreaks, and successes. May we always keep you before us to lead our way, behind us to encourage and move us forward, beside us, beneath us, above us and within us, as we remain in all these ways with you. This we pray. Amen.
right? I mean, kind of feel the energy of people just like, I just want to respond and, and, and connect. Because there's so few ways in worship when we can, when we can kind of communicate like that. Um, as I was listening to the, to the handbells, um, there was a quote that popped into my mind. Um, I think it was Winston Churchill who said, you make a living by what you get, you make a life by what you give. And um, I do, I, I think about all the practice that you, you know, that you put in to be able to share this music with us and how much we benefit by, um, by that kind of gift, how much we benefit by the gifts every week from the choir of, of the practicing and singing and, and sharing that. And I think about the sanctuary and here we are sitting in, in, in this place that was given to us generations and generations ago. And just all of the all of the gifts that we benefit from when we just when we do stop and when we look around and we think about our lives, including our parents, right? From that psalm and the prayer of um, being created and stitched together in our mother's wombs, the gift of life itself. And when we stop and when we think about this, our gratitude rises and our hearts open. And um, we realize that so much within us and, our, and around us. And then there's that hymn, Lord of all hopefulness. And I think well, then we get to create hope by giving to others and by lifting others up and by sharing what we have to give. And so just a little reflection since I don't get to preach today. <laughs> Many. <laughs> Many. But those are some of the things that I, I think about, and uh, especially as with our morning offering here, as our morning offering will be shared in this way of appreciation, gratitude, and sharing once again.
Dedication. Receive these gifts, O God, as expressions of our gratitude and loving devotion. May they be used to multiply your love among us and all people. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Today's scripture comes from the book of Acts. It's a book and a chapter which records the very first Christians in their stories and struggles to make meaning out of what they've witnessed. It's perhaps more than any other book of the Bible bears witness to the big question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to take part in a community like this? How ought we organize ourselves? How ought we make sense of this history how ought we take part in the mysteries of the sacraments, in the mysteries of Christ, and all of those things that today we take for granted as normal? When Acts was written, nothing that we today call Christian was normal. What you're doing today is not normal. Not baptism, not communion, certainly not gathering weekly to sing and worship in this way. And so with this context in mind, let us read the word of God in the spirit of these early Christians with wonder and with fresh eyes. And though it's long, I think we can read it together if you will read with me. 
Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. The word of our Lord. May we pray. Loving God, may you bless our living and our understanding of these words of abundant life. Amen. So what we have in these pages is a story, one that is often untold in church audiences with characters and stakes, and I think a lesson if we choose to read it. It's a story that contains a baptism and that clarifies what baptism really is. It's a story that contains a conversion, a transformation, and in fact, it's one of the first conversion stories in the books of Acts. One of the first times that it's documented that someone comes to a strange new faith, new identity in Jesus Christ without ever having met Jesus Christ. And importantly, it is documented as the first conversion story of a Gentile or a person who's not of Jewish descent. In it, this person is baptized into a new faith, yes, but also transformed into a new understanding, an understanding of something they thought they knew or else something they were trying to understand but couldn't, something they were seeking, something that was right there in front of them like the text, but it was inscrutable to them. And so before we jump into the water of that story, I wanna tell you a little bit of another, my own story, my own sort of conversion story, certainly a story of baptism. Because as many of you know, I was baptized on my 18th birthday. 
And because I had spent far too much time reading this book and others, because of my love for legendary and epic narratives, much like the one we'd find in today's scripture, where it seems as if divine intervention is around every corner and every coincidence is necessary for a plot to bloom. Because of this, not only was I baptized on my 18th birthday, I also broke up with my high school boyfriend. I also packed up my family Subaru and began a journey across the country. Because like Philip, I felt as if I heard an angel of the Lord say, get up and go and take the scenic route, the wilderness road while you're at it. Except I was not going to the south, I was going to college. And so to understand this story, we need a little bit of context, right? To understand any story. A bit of background on my background. Well, I grew up in a very rural region of Southern California. My public school system was the lowest paid in the state of California. And I was dreadfully unprepared, academically and socially, for the kinds of ideas and theories, norms and paradigms of the new college environment. So I was baptized on my 18th birthday, but two weeks later, when I arrived to the destination of my journey, I was once again dunked into cold, cold water of a new reality, a new way of thinking, a new way of perceiving this world and of living in it. And that's what baptism is, isn't it? An introduction into something new, a new way of living and embodying our lives and identities. And so today, as we unpack this story, I want to introduce you to that cold water, that major body of water and body of thought into which I plunged that day. And I want us to use it as a community to interpret this story in front of us and to begin to empathize with its characters, to see what's always been in front of us anew. I want us to read this story through the lens of intersectionality. Now, some of you might have heard of this concept. Some of you might have been told about it by your children when they returned from college that first week. They might have received phone calls like my mother after freshman orientation when she asked, how is it? And I said, I have so many five-syllable words I cannot even begin to share with you. Some of you might have heard about this term on the news under a very scary word of identity politics, and some of you might be stealing yourselves for this sermon right now. But like many things, I think that's a result of lack of dialogue and open understanding. Like our protagonist, the Ethiopian eunuch, replies in the story when Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? How can any of us understand unless someone guides us? So like Philip, I invite you to get into the chariot, sit beside me for a while as we read and read into this scripture, diving deep into the baptismal waters of new depths. So the term intersectionality, intersectionality, was developed by a woman named Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. Crenshaw, as a black woman writing in the 1980s, found that most conversations about gender, about what it means to be a woman and embody that, that identity in the world were had by white women. And she found that her experiences and understandings of what it meant to be a woman weren't really included in those conversations. Similarly, she found that most conversations about race, about what it means to be a person of color and live in the world, were had by men. And their experiences and understandings of social issues also didn't seem to include her. 
She found that her experience of living in the world was not understandable in terms of these binaries, black or white, man or woman. Instead, she found that different identities combine, overlap, intersect to create unique experiences of living in the world and unique experiences of their stories. Because like we know, no two people are alike. No two identities are formed in the same way. And a perfect case study for understanding identity in this way is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch that we just read. Because though Acts was written in the Roman Empire sometime between 60 and 100 AD, long before Crenshaw coined this term, long before it came mainstream, and long before I was introduced to it, you can see that the author of the text, St. Luke, has many of the same concerns about identity. And as a result, the reading of this story through this lens of intersectionality has become increasingly popular among biblical scholars. So let's begin. Like any story, let's get to know our characters. Who is this first Gentile convert? First, we're told that this character is Ethiopian. In the ancient world, race and nationality were not conceived of exactly as we do today in the United States, but scholars do know that skin color and nationality were factors. Ethiopia in those days was called Kush, and to quote one scholar, it was considered the end of the world. It was far away, few had ever traveled there. No one knew what it meant to be from there. And people from this country were, as you might expect, black. They were of African descent, and in the ancient world, blackness was not just about skin color or physical characteristics. It also signified morality. As one scholar writes, colors were commonly associated with moral character, and it, they carried a negative sense. In other words, the author of this text, when he includes these details, is not operating in a pre-racial utopia. In other words, black people face many of the same stereotypes that they have historically and do today. And in other words, this character was likely marginalized, oppressed, or discriminated against on the basis of the color of their skin and the origin of their people. This happens today. This, though ancient, can speak to modern truth. That's one identity. Second, we're told this character is a eunuch. Again, in the ancient world, gender and sexuality were not conceived of exactly as they are today, but still, we know they were certainly factors, and eunuchs occupied a really unique space. A eunuch was commonly a male who had been castrated by force, oftentimes for the purposes of serving in a royal court. And scholars have written that in the ancient world, eunuchs were considered hybrid or monstrous to those sensibilities. They were neither man nor woman, but something else. Often they adopted feminine dress and appearance, but they weren't considered women. And because they didn't behave in the way that real men of that day were supposed to behave, they also didn't have the rights that were given to men. They were viewed with suspicion as different, as apart, as not fitting into the clean binary which existed between man and woman at that time. They might have used they, them pronouns. And not only were they discriminated against socially and politically, but religiously. In the Bible, according to the biblical book of Deuteronomy, they weren't allowed inside the temple. In other words, this character was probably discriminated against, marginalized, or oppressed on the basis of a non-binary gender and the assumptions that were made of their sexuality. This, though ancient, 
can speak to modern truth because it still happens today. Third, we're told that this eunuch worked for Candace, a queen of Ethiopia, that they were in charge of the treasury. As a result, we get some understanding of the character's class. We can imagine they had some power, some money, some influence, and that still, they weren't free. This position was not a free one. Eunuchs were often slaves, and so what does it mean to have that money, that class, if you're not free? So even despite certain privileges afforded by class, this person's identity was still determined by the way they were viewed through other. Though capable, they still couldn't quite get ahead. And then finally, we're told this character was on a journey. Philip met this character on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza while he was away from his home nation, while he was a visitor, a foreigner, and a threat. At the time in which this event took place, Ethiopians were regarded as the enemy of Rome, as a threat at the important border of Egypt that could be stopped but not conquered. They were immigrants and threats. In other words, this character was marginalized, oppressed, or discriminated against on the basis of their nationality or their immigration status. This still happens. This, though ancient, can speak to modern truth. And so all of these different identities coalesce to say that this character's experience of the world is shaped by their race, by their gender, their sexuality, their class, their national and legal status, their various intersectional identities. And we know that these details were important to the author of this text, to St. Luke, because why else would they be included? This passage to me highlight the fact that we're not supposed to not look at these things or to not see these identities, but that we're supposed to look into them, see the life in them, how they shape our characters, shape their minds, their hearts, and their spirits, and prepare them for Christ. And so what is it that moves the plot of this story along? What is it that takes this from the story of a missed connection or a long journey on which someone keeps their head down instead of finding something sacred? After all, we could imagine this story today. Our protagonist, the Ethiopian eunuch, on a train, reading, listening to a podcast, going about their own business where nothing happens. Have you ever been in one of those settings? You're on a train or an Uber and someone starts talking to you. What do you do? We can imagine a man like Philip walks into the train car and tries to make conversation, leans over and says, hey, what are you reading? And it would be absolutely reasonable for the Ethiopian eunuch in this scenario to blow Philip off, to say none of your business. It's kind of a kind of a condescending question, isn't it? Do you understand what you're reading? And yet, why doesn't the Ethiopian eunuch respond that way? Why doesn't the story end there? Why doesn't it end with silence, with sarcasm? What makes this character respond with an open spirit? What makes this story move forward? I think it's grace. I think it's a profound capacity and receptivity to be changed. I think it's humility. Our protagonist doesn't reply with pride, doesn't say, yeah, I know what I'm reading. Thank you. Like I might. But instead, they reply, how can I understand unless someone guides me? 
And do you know what that kind of open spirit, that kind of grace for the social faux pas of others, that kind of humility brings this character? Transformation. If you've ever had one of those conversations in a train car or an Uber or a plane that changes your life, you know that you're just sitting there and usually you'd mind your own business. But this time, for whatever reason, maybe you're bored or maybe you're emotional and you can't quite hide it as best you try, or maybe you don't even know why you just chat and the journey's made lighter and understanding between two strangers is made more profound. And both people leave changed. What is that? In this story, we it talks a lot about the Holy Spirit as an acting and moving force. That it was the Holy Spirit that compelled Philip to go to the chariot. But it was the Holy Spirit that compelled the eunuch to respond with grace and humility. That is what I imagine the rest of this chariot ride is like. Those moments in our lives where for whatever reason, something is made new. Two strangers with nothing in common come to a new understanding. All of this because of an open and seeking spirit, one that wasn't closed off by the hardship or the oppression or the marginalization that they faced, but was made more empathetic by it. That wasn't made possible by ignoring differences, but by openly acknowledging them. And that, that openness is what baptism is all about, isn't it? That's what this whole crazy thing is about. Hearing something new, something crazy, the good news, the gospel, that all people of all races, tongues, tribes, gender identities, sexual orientations, and all and any other identity are loved and loved deeply. Hearing this and being changed by it, transformed by it, setting aside everything for it, including our prejudices, which we all have, and our insecurities, and our peaceful and quiet train rides where we just want to be alone. Not because we must, but because we may. Because that's where the spirit is, and that's where the joy is, and that's where the best stories come from. That's where the best journeys begin. And so as we encounter this new lens for reading and so many other different lenses, as we encounter new information, as we encounter new people, may we have the open, humble, and receptive spirits of our protagonists today. May we be willing to ask questions, to jump into the water, and when we see an opportunity for transformation, may we say, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Look, here's a way for me to better love my neighbor. What's to prevent me from embracing it? Look, here is a new depth. It's scary, but what but fear is to prevent me from diving in? If baptism isn't just a singular event, if faith isn't just a single moment, but a commitment to follow Jesus every single day, then let this be another moment in which we choose to love, choose to be changed, choose to see ourselves and our neighbors within these sacred scriptures, this ever unfolding narrative of God's love and grace. Let's dive in. The water's fine. Amen.
this space today. May we take heart in this hymn, one of my favorite, that we may be open to the founts of blessings that are everywhere, that we may see them and learn to discern where they are in our path, and that we may be open and receptive to the grace, to the love, to the healing, and to the new understanding that might be springing from that fount of every blessing. May we feel that in our hearts and in our souls today as we leave this space. And may we be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.